what we're talking about today is growing as a person, flourishing in our lives, how we can go from where we are to where we want to be, blossoming, blooming, I'm trying to say this in as many ways as I can, Uh, taking steps forward, making progress, maturing, uh, becoming more of who God made us to be, whatever you want to clock into from those phrases, that's what we're talking about today, growing, how we can grow, and that's relevant for each of us, unless you're part of a very important group of people, uh, who are those who are perfect? Um, so perhaps there are some of you here who are perfect. Growing for you is kind of a nostalgic thing. You, do you remember when I used to have to grow? Oh, those were the days. Oh, gosh. And you look on, on this day on Facebook and say, oh, there I was, growing. <laughs> and now I've reached, the, you know, I've arrived. And so if that's you, uh, congratulations. I have absolutely nothing to say to you. Neither really does God um, because you have no need for him. So uh, just grab a brioche on the way out. <laughs> Feel free, head through the car park, um, pop in on my friends on the way out if you want to. But uh, thank you for blessing us with your presence. But there'll be nothing for you today if you're perfect. Um, but if you know that you need to grow and you look inside and you know, God, I, c- I, could, I could kick on a bit. I want to become more of what God's got, got for me. I want to become more of who he made me to be. Then the passage that we're going to look at is going to be really relevant for you. Um, now, you might be here and not be a Christian, uh, and you might believe a myth about Christianity this morning when it comes to the whole idea of growing and flourishing. Okay, you might believe uh, the myth that if you get more and more stuck into Christianity, what will happen to you is not that you will flourish, but that you will shrivel <laughs> and that you will be oppressed and become smaller and become less because of all the rules and the regulations and the heavy burden, that if you follow Jesus more in your life and you get more stuck into Jesus or Christianity, you're going to shrivel and become less. We're in uh, the very important parenting phase at the moment of teaching grace about Disney. <laughs> it's key, okay? And at the moment, we're in step, the step one of that, which is just where you have to start. Lion King is the best Disney film, okay? Yeah? Come on. Yeah, yeah, preach, Rich. That's that's as good as it gets today. Lion King, um, dividing opinion, argue over coffee at the end. Um, But in the Lion King, there's this dreadful, dreadful, dreadful scene where the pride lands that are meant to be flourishing get sapped of all their life. Do you remember? They go gray and they go bleak and everything becomes sort of like winter and it's all horrible because a bad king is running the place and it's all bad and people think that when you get really stuck into Christianity that's what happens to your life you become less and you get all the joy sapped out of you all the fun you have to stop because you're a Christian now and you become less but that is not true the Bible's vision of growing as a person is that as you get more and more stuck into Christianity or more and more deeper into relationship with Jesus it's actually more like another scene in The Lion King where, where Simba returns, there's kind of a kuna matata and all that stuff, and then, and then he comes back, and when the true king takes control of the Pride Lands, and we could do a whole analogy about that, but we won't because that would be really lame, uh, but when the true king comes back, life returns to the place. Life comes back, there's fruit, there's, there's uh, luscious life, and that's what God says going deeper with him is meant to be like. Not that life's easy, but that whatever comes, we're fruitful and we have life in us. So Psalm 1 says, you get stuck into God. It's not that you shrivel and die. Look what happens. Psalm 1, such a person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. 
you feel like you're withering today, God says, go deeper with me. And it's not that there's an easy life, but that in all that life brings, you flourish. Isaiah 55 says, a growing person buds and flourishes like a plant in the spring. And Isaiah 61 says that if you go deep with God, you can grow into an oak of righteousness. That is not the language of a sort of stripped, bad, limited, sort of oppressed life. That's big language. Oaks are big. (laughs) It's tall, it's strong, it's full of life. And God says, go deeper, grow with me, and you don't become less, but you can become an oak of righteousness, bearing fruit. And so that's why it's really good news that this passage of the Bible in Hebrews is all about how we can grow. Just look at a couple of verses to show you I'm not making it up. Um, 6 verse 1, oh there it is. 6 verse 1 says, let us go on instead and become mature. 6 verse 3 says, God willing, we'll move forward. This passage is all about how we make progress and grow. Okay, And basically what we're going to see in Hebrews 5 verse 11 to 6 verse 3, so if you're looking to kind of get it up on your phone, that's where we are, 5 verse 11 to 6 verse 3, we're going to see one thing, one massive thing, one thing that's going to be 98% of the rest of the talk, one huge thing that helps us grow, okay? And then we're going to see just for a minute at the end, one thing that hinders growth, one thing that stops us flourishing, okay? You happy with that? We are going to read the passage, and I want you to look out for what's the one massive thing that this passage is saying helps you grow, okay? That's what I want you to try and spot. One last little bit of introduction, okay? Um, Probably the literary genre of this passage, if you've got your scholarly hat on, is probably best described as aggressive rebuke okay? Um, It's really full on. It's like a rant, okay? And uh, I just wanted to say that so that you know that I've spotted that and we're all feeling awkward and British about it together, okay? Um, (laughs) But before I kind of apologize for the Bible, which you should never do, um, just to say rebuke or, or a firm word to us, if that comes from a heart of hatred towards you, uh, so a boss who hates you, and just criticizes you all the time and never offers you any progress or, or way of kind of making progress, that is a horrible experience. And if that's what the Bible does when we read hard bits, if it's just yelling at us for the sake of it, just zone out, don't bother. But if it comes from a heart of love to you, a boss who wants to see you become all you could be, a boss who wants to offer sort of constructive criticism and say you could take this step, this step, this step, that sort of rebuke is life-giving, isn't it? And we all probably are thankful for people in our lives who've said hard things to us for our good. So if you find this to be a bit of a rant, uh, as I read it out, um, it comes from a heart of love to you from God. And uh, if it kind of slightly twinges when you read it, think of them as kind of growing pains, okay? It's for your good. It's to help you flourish. Let's see this slightly ranty (coughs) passage of the Bible. I'm not going to rant too much, don't worry. Um, Let's read it. There is much more we would like to say to you about this. He's just been talking about something very complicated. But it is difficult to explain, ready for the rant, especially since you are spiritually dull and don't seem to listen. I feel more awkward than you, don't worry. Verse 12, you have been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's word. You are like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. For someone who lives on milk 
is still what? Someone who lives on milk is an infant and doesn't know how to do what is right. Solid food is for those who are mature, who through training have the skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. Next slide. So, he says, let us stop going over the basic teachings about Christ again and again. Let us go on instead and become mature in our understanding. Surely, we don't need to start again with the fundamental importance of repenting from evil deeds, placing our faith in God. You'd probably recognize those two things. The next few, you might think, oh gosh, that's the basics. I'm not sure I know about that. In that context, coming from a Jewish background, these are some of the first things they would have heard about when they became Christians, okay? So where are we? Verse two, you don't need further instruction about baptisms, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. Verse three, and so, God willing, we will move forward to further understanding. I don't know if you spotted it. One massive thing that helps you grow, to become an oak of righteousness, to become strong and full of life. One massive thing, take in substantial food. Take in substantial food. Now the whole idea of this passage hinges on this principle, okay, that what you put in affects what comes out, okay? What you consume affects who you will become. What you uh, eat on and feast on spiritually will be related to the person that you are in the world, what you eat spiritually impacts who you become. And uh, to make that point, he uses this analogy of spiritual truth as food. Okay, now I'm not going to tell you how we illustrated this point at Emerge uh, a few months ago because I decided that it was not how to do it to the whole church. So I'm not going to tell you, if you want to pick it up with Elliot Mitchell particularly, who has a personal experience of how I talked about this, then do. But I just want to say that if you uh, start your life, it's appropriate that you drink what as your main bit of food? Milk, okay? No one is having a go at babies for drinking milk, okay? When you start out, drink milk. That's appropriate. Any babies in the house? Keep on guzzling the milk. That's fine, okay? This is not a rant to say you shouldn't be drinking milk. It says that you should be drinking milk when you're young and when you're a baby. But that actually if you stay on milk for your whole life, that is quite strange, isn't it? (laughs) Okay? If you are a grown-up, okay, it's very strange, isn't it? It's really odd, okay, as this picture shows us. Okay? And if you've been in the Christian life, for decades and you're sipping on milk the bible here says that's not how you become strong you got to take in food that is the sort of food that produces strong people if you want to be a person of substance you got to take in substance if you want to become a person of depth you got to take in deep food if you want to become an oak of righteousness you got to take in in your roots in your soil substance And that's why he goes on to say something really important about maturity. It's not just that he wants you to grow up or age or get better at life skills or get more organized. And that's what he means by maturity. He says something really specific about maturity. Uh, 6 verse 1, become mature in our understanding. 
because the input, what we know and what we understand and feed on, shapes our health as a person. 6 verse 3, move forward to further understanding. Okay? Understanding. Eat food of substance. Understand deep truths to become healthy. Now, uh, I'm going to just be honest. Uh, I imagine if I asked you to write down on a small post-it, as Christians often do in things, uh, if I asked you to write down on a post-it, what is the most exciting thing about being a Christian? Okay, what gets you going about the Christian life? What is it that you love about being a Christian? I reckon none of the post-its would say, I'm really passionate about theological accuracy. You know, that gets me up in the morning to be clear in my convictions. What a blessing. (laughs) Okay, none of us care about that stuff instinctively. We all much more know that relationship with God, we love it. We love being used by him to bring blessing to the world. We, We love our worship times with passion and where we meet with the Holy Spirit. And we love that stuff. And we would kind of hope that theological understanding is the bit that we can leave to Jonathan. (laughs) Like he'll do that stuff for us and take the hit, bless him, so that we can enjoy the good stuff, right? That's sometimes how we view understanding, okay? And I think that's because we view going deep in our understanding about God as being in conflict to some other stuff that we hold really dear, like passion for God, or living relationship with God, or action for God, or kind of intimacy with the Holy Spirit, okay? And I think we see those things in conflict. And what I want to do for almost the entirety of the rest of this talk, before bringing you one bit of application, I want to take those assumptions about theological understanding, that you assume that that's the naff bit of the Christian life. I want to take those assumptions and headbutt them and make them disintegrate and show you that going deep in your mind's understanding Taking in food of substance is not the bad bit, but is an astonishingly life-giving thing to do in your life. That's what I want to do. Are you okay with that? That's what we're going to do. So first conflict that we sometimes have in our mind is that deeper understanding is an enemy or is in conflict with passion for God in our hearts, okay? We sometimes hold up as in conflict, head versus heart, right? And we don't want to just be those goofy head knowledge Christians, do we? We don't want to be the professors who know loads but hate people, do we? (laughs) I hope. (laughs) We don't want to be those people, okay? We don't want to simply have head knowledge, okay? Do you know someone in the Bible who had deep understanding about God, who knew lots about Jesus, who knew tons about what he could do, Do you know who that was? Satan. Satan has deep understanding. He just hates Jesus. (laughs) He knows loads about him, but he hates him. So I'm not for a second saying that mere head knowledge is enough. You can be a professor of theology and hate God and hate people, and that is not godliness, okay? But knowing truth in our minds, engaging our brain, is absolutely fundamental to the Christian life. Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your soul, your strength, and your mind. Paul says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It doesn't mean that only academics can be godly. (laughs) Praise the Lord. (laughs) It doesn't mean that only geniuses can grow 
or that you need a university education to be a good Christian. It doesn't mean that, okay? Some really clever religious guys in Jesus' day mocked Peter and John and said, you are unschooled, ordinary men, and they mocked them for it. And Peter and John changed the world for God, okay? Pillars of the church, amazing people who were used powerfully by God. So if you're here and you're an unschooled, ordinary person, if you're here and you haven't finished school, or you can't finish school, or you don't get a university education, whereas lots of this world would disqualify you, Jesus does not disqualify you at all, okay? So it's not about being a genius, but it's about the mind that God has given you using that in worship of God. The mind that God has given you, engaging your mind. Uh, John Piper says this. Uh, John Piper, basically, is like a really clever guy who spends his whole life trying to make stuffy head knowledge Christians wake up and be passionate. His ministry is called Desiring God. He's all about passion for God and loving God and not just knowing stuff in your head. But even he says this. Thinking is indispensable on the path to passion for God. Thinking is not an end in itself. Thinking is not the goal of life, but thinking under the mighty hand of God. Thinking soaked in prayer, thinking carried by the Holy Spirit, thinking tethered to the Bible, thinking in pursuit of more reasons to praise and proclaim the glories of God. (gasps) Thinking in service of love, such thinking is indispensable in a life of fullest praise to God. Your head fuels your heart. Engage in truth with your mind. Now, another kind of conflict that people have in their minds about theological truth or going deep is that deep understanding can seem to be in conflict with a living relationship with God, okay? We We hold up, don't we, as two things, knowing about God and knowing God, and we know which one we're meant to prefer. So knowing about God you know, lists of truths, knowing God, actual personal relationship. And I think that's really true, okay? And I could list off a load of stuff that I know about God and never spend any time with him and never come face to face with him and never speak to him and not like him. (laughs) And that would be bad, okay? But knowing about someone is really key, don't you think? So if you come up to me and we're having coffee and you say to me, uh, hi, Rich, and I say, how are you? And you say, oh, great, work's been tough, and my mum's still not very well, um, but I um, had real progress in one of my friendships. That's been great. And I go, whoa, don't care. Don't care stuff about you. Uh, just want to know you. Okay, that's really stupid, isn't it? <laughs> because it's actually really rude to dismiss what someone has spoken about themselves in the name of relationship with them is really rude. If you come up to me and I say, hi, Dave, and you go, my name's Lucy, (laughs) okay, that's kind of rude on my part, all right? So just simply knowing stuff about God, that's not the goal, but knowing who he is, reading our Bibles, learning truth, that's an expression of love for him, and it fuels our relationship with him. Are we okay? Great. Another conflict that we have in our minds about going deep in understanding is that that's in conflict with action for God, okay? There's a city out there. There's streets out here. My friends live on them. There's a city here. There's Bearwood. There's homeless people. There's refugees. There's older people stuck in their flats. There's all the need in our city, and we come here on a Sunday and have a talk. 
Isn't that stupid, it feels? Isn't that not where the action is, it feels? That we could be going and doing stuff instead of just talking about it. We could go and change the world instead of reading about changing the world, right? Now, please don't mishear me. Our church is passionate about action. I hope that you see that. And we don't want to just have one sort of frivolous gap year of activity so it looks good on the website. We want to be sustained in actual making an impact in our city. It's why we do Christians Against Poverty. It's why we do Time for Tea for our elderly community. It's, it's why we do uh, Hope English Club to meet the needs of refugees in our city. Okay, we, we do stuff. Okay, Community life group. We do stuff. But is theological depth something that gets in the way of our action as Christians? I don't think so. Why do we care for refugees and do Hope English Club? Why do we do that? Is it so it looks good on the website? Oh, we're a good church. We do good things for the city. Is that the point? We do Hope English Club because God cares for refugees. God is not a racist. You can be patriotic, but God is not a nationalist. He loves all nations. We care about refugees because Jesus himself, who was God in human form, became a refugee. We care about refugees because we ourselves are traveling through this world. It's not our true home. And so we know the experience of being not in our true homeland. And we care with the love and generosity and welcome of God who loves all people. And that's why we do Hope English Club. So go deep in theology. You will run English lessons in your church because God loves refugees. It's theological depth that fuels our action. Why do we do Christians Against Poverty? Because we needed to give Owen something to do. And maybe Verity needed something to do as well. And so let's just stick it on, you know, so that, so that the comms guy can put it on Facebook once every fortnight and we can feel like we're doing something. Is that why we do Christians Against Poverty? No, it isn't why we do Christians Against Poverty. We do Christians Against Poverty because the Holy Spirit rests on Jesus and Jesus cries out, the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me to proclaim good news to the poor and liberty to the captives. And so if you're someone who's poor and that's in some way got you in captivity, then the Holy Spirit loves you so much and is all about bringing you freedom and it's not just a middle class thing that we go oh middle class people are going to take pity on some people who need some help we all know whoever we are the experience of being in debt before God in being absolutely enchained before God completely unable to break ourselves out of that situation and Jesus stepped into the world to bring us through to being debt-free before the Father, so that this morning you can shout and celebrate that you're debt-free. We've all had that experience, and that's why we do Christians Against Poverty, and that's theology. (laughs) So going deep in your understanding makes you someone who loves the poor people in our city. What do we do time for tea next week? Why is Jan going to go to time for tea? And are you going to time for tea? I'm not putting that on you. I thought you were. Yeah, great. (laughs) Why is Jan going to do that? Jan's going to do that because even though our culture says that your worth as a human being is in what you can put into the economic spreadsheet, and your value as a human being is based on how, how young you continue to look. And whereas our world's got that totally the wrong way around, the Bible says dignity comes when you have gray hair. 
And Tim and Liz Brown went, hallelujah, at Southside with that, because they're grayer than me. Mine's coming. Age means that you, as a young person, emerges here, just because someone is older than you, you defer to them because they are older than you. That's what the Bible says, that people of older age are worthy of our respect. And the God who sees people, even when they're hidden in a flat and we can't see them, the God who sees cares for those people and is near to the brokenhearted. And that's why we do time for tea. So if you want to be someone who's full of action for God, go deep in your understanding. Fuel your action by knowing the truth. I got slightly excited then. <laughs> I do apologize. It's a Sunday morning. Oh. Last little conflict. Last little conflict that we sometimes think is that depth in understanding is in conflict to uh, relationship with the Holy Spirit. That uh, word is in conflict with spirit. That uh, the Holy Spirit's really excited about the first song and the worship time, and he leaves the room tutting for the talk because he loves it when we've got a keyboard playing. And when the Bible's opened, he's a bit gutted. And uh, we sometimes think that, can't we? And uh, sometimes we think that in our city, um, there are the Bible churches, and then there are the spirit churches. And these guys have got big, dusty pulpits, and these guys have got really snazzy lights. And we in Church Central, we've, we're just straight down the middle. We, bring, we just have the greatest balance in the world. And we can think that, okay? And we can draw these stereotypes. Now, here's the thing. If you, in the name of the Bible, dismiss the Holy Spirit, how do we know anything about the Holy Spirit? How, why is it that we in our church insist that we're going to keep pursuing those awkward moments when no one's bringing anything because we believe that God wants to speak to us through the gifts of the Holy Spirit? It isn't because it's slick. <laughs> it isn't because it's slick that we believe in the gift of tongues. That's a bit weird. <laughs> why do we pursue that stuff wholeheartedly? Why do we not just shove that stuff away? Because the Bible, we believe, says to pursue the Holy Spirit and his gifts now and forever, keep pursuing the Holy Spirit. I was reading this morning in a psalm. Pursue his presence daily. That's why we're passionate about the Holy Spirit. So if you're here and you're a Bible person, I would encourage you that if you go deep in your Bible, you will love the person of the Holy Spirit. And I think that's true the other way around as well. If you're here and you tolerate the Bible because you want action with the Holy Spirit, I want to say who wrote the Bible? like Mark and Paul and, you know, Moses and Haggai and all the ones who wrote the little weird ones in the back of the Old Testament, you know, those guys wrote it. But also the Bible teaches us that the Holy Spirit inspired those men to write down the words, not just of humans, but of God. That when uh, Paul says, uh, all scripture is God breathed, that word is God spirited. That when we open the Bible or the iPad or the screen and put words of scripture on there, that's God <sighs> breathing his spirit on us through his spirit inspired word. It's his masterpiece. It's the Holy Spirit's masterpiece. He spent ages, millennia, inspiring people to write it down. And so if you chuck the Bible out out of loyalty to the Holy Spirit, that's like taking a spray can of paint up to the Mona Lisa out of loyalty to Da Vinci. Yeah? yeah. Da Vinci. 
or going up onto the stage of a performance of Hamlet and going, this is terrible because I love Shakespeare. Or if you're youth, getting a copy of Gang Signs and Prayer by Stormzy and smashing it on the floor and stamping on it and saying, I do that because I'm loyal to Stormzy. (laughs) If you take someone's masterpiece and dismiss it, that's not loyal to them. And so if you're here and you're a spirit person, would you follow him to his masterpiece and dig into your book? (laughs) Because he wrote it and it's where he wants to speak to you. It's not the only place, but he wants to speak to you in your life through his masterpiece, the Bible. I did get excited then. I'll leave in a moment. So how do you grow in your life? Oak of righteousness. How do you become someone who's like the pride lands when Simba returns and bears fruit? This passage says take in substantial food. Dig deep into truth. Now how do we apply that as I finish? How do we apply that? There's loads of things I could say, isn't there? There's loads of stuff. I could say, um, here's a book to read. Uh, Here's a blog to look at. Here's a sermon to download. Here's stuff to do. I could give you all the stuff. But the passage gives one clear application and the passage gives one very awkward application that I wrestled with deleting from this passage <laughs> for my own ease, <laughs> but was told not to. <laughs> one thing that hinders growth is when we don't listen. Uh, verse 11 says there's much more we'd like to say about this but it is difficult to explain, especially since you are spiritually dull and don't seem to listen. Now, you know when Jonathan does, um, I don't want you to miss this, and that stuff, you know? You know when he does his things to help us listen? Um, yeah, he's not here, so I, can, I say this in all honor, I promise. Jonathan, if you're listening, I love you very much, it's fine. You know when he does that? Why does he do that? Does he do that because he's insecure as a preacher and for his good, he needs you to look vaguely interested? (laughs) That too. That is not it, is it? What if you're in church and I only preach like once a term, twice a term, so I'm not saying this about me, I'm I'm with you in this situation, but what if if we're in church and the person speaking God's truth to us knows that the input affects the output knows that when you take in substance you become a person of substance imagine if they knew what's going on in your life imagine if they prayed for you in the week imagine if they prepared their talk as hard as they could and wept over it because they love you not because they're insecure and they need a bit of a fix on a Sunday but because they love you and imagine then that they were preaching to you and imagine then that they were pretty convinced that you weren't listening it's not a really, they're not going to hate you, but they love you and they want you to grow. And God's word, it says, you become a person like a tree planted by streams of water. She yields its fruit in season whose leaf does not wither. Imagine if Jonathan and Johnny knew that there were parts of your life that were withering and they poured themselves in and then you didn't listen. Then we didn't listen. Now, that's the awkward bit. Now, let's soften it. If you're here and you've worked a night shift, (laughs) 
you're here and you've got young children, you're here and you have pain so you can't sleep, you're here for whatever situation and you get to church and all you can do is get to church and the idea that, that someone's out telling you off for not listening comes so harsh to you and you hear it and you say, who do you think you are? And all of that, I just want to say, God's heart to us is grace, isn't it? God's heart to us is undeserved kindness, okay? And so he knows that to get in the door sometimes is all you can do, and he receives that as worship, and he is not tutting at you, I promise you. He loves you. He loves you, okay? And so if sometimes you find it difficult to listen, he loves you. And here's the other thing. I know that probably 80% of the responsibility for you listening on a Sunday is on those who are communicating to you to try and help you and to go... I don't want you to miss this every now and again and to do stuff to try and make it easy for you to engage. 80, 90, 95% of the responsibility might be on this side of the music stand and in preparation for this talk, I felt convicted that we again, I'm not saying that we don't do this, but we again need to promise to work as hard as we can to help you by presenting things as helpfully as we can to make it as easy as we can for you to listen. So I want to say that the burden of this lands almost entirely this side, okay? And I've said to Jonathan and Johnny and Owen and the people who preach in the church, can we commit again to trying really hard to make this as easy as we can? And everyone said, yes and amen. We're not going to do it perfectly, but that is a conviction we have. We want to give ourselves to doing that. So you have their word that they're going to do that. And all this passage says is, God, to grow into an oak of righteousness, would you take responsibility as well? So what do you need to do to help yourself listen to God's word? Do you need to start taking notes? Do you need to stop taking notes because all you do with your notepad is doodle on it? (laughs) See, there's no rules. It's not note takers are godly. I hate taking notes. I don't do it. It distracts me. Maybe you need to sit nearer the front because that helps you listen. Maybe you need to sit further the back because you're so distracted by the spit that lands on you at the front that you can't hear God's word. Sorry, yeah, brush it off. So there's no rules about what it looks like. I know that if you've just come out of Kids Central in the last few years, that it's a big jump to landing into a full talk. I know that, okay? And so there's grace to you. But for you, for who you are, where you are, how will you help yourself listen? Not for the sake of Jonathan's ego. (laughs) He's pretty secure. (laughs) For the sake of your flourishing. 